So last week we began kind of digging into um, the character of God and we we kind of approaching it in, in two major sections. One, how does God differ from us? That's what we were looking at last week. Um, and this week we're going to be looking at um, how God is like us. So last week, a couple, just kind of for the sake of review and getting us back, getting us back in the context of of the study, some of the the attributes that we looked at last week um, were God's independence, <clears throat> excuse me, or self existence, His unchangeableness, and specifically when we speak of His unchangeableness, we're speaking about His character, His perfections, His purposes. Um, we looked we looked at how God is eternal. Um, and that's both directions, right? Um, how how we could say that God's timeless or outside of time. He is the creator of time itself. Uh, we looked at God's omnipresence. And, and when we speak about God's omnipresence, what we don't mean is that God's just big and everywhere, right? Like so that so like if when we think of it as a size type thing, then then you would clearly think that there's part of Him here and part of him there like if he were just big then then there would be parts of him everywhere but when we speak of God's omnipresence omnipresence what we're saying is that God is fully and completely in all places he, there's not a part of him here or a part of him there right like God is full and complete in all places in such a way that you would probably classify that as spaceless like God is not um, God is not in space he kind of transcends space itself and then we looked at uh, at the idea of, of the unity or the simplicity of God um, and how God's not composed of different parts. And I want us to keep that in mind, especially as we go through this effort of kind of identifying the attributes of God. Like, that's an effort at... at, at that I think we need to go through to to understand him because it's it's easier for us to handle these things in in kind of chunks because we can explore say for instance like God's love but when we think about the character of God <clears throat> God's character is unified meaning that it is not made up of parts right like so that when we speak of God's kindness and his love and his like we're, there's going to be a bunch that we're going to go through uh, today like his spirituality, his knowledge, his wisdom, his truthfulness, faithfulness, goodness, love, mercy, grace, patience, holiness, peace, order, righteousness, justice, jealousy, wrath, will, freedom, power, sovereignty, perfection, blessedness, beauty, glory, like all of those things, though we're, and we're not going to have time to clearly to spend on each of those, right? Like, when you think about those, those are unified. So when we speak of God's unity or His, His, His simplicity, what, what, we're, what we mean to say by that is that when God takes action, when we see God move, God moves not, not based off of one particular because God's love um, and not based off another because God's just. When God moves, when God decides, when God moves in the world that He's created, He moves in the fullness of His character, right? So like when He moves, like when, when God's wrath is poured out, that's not like part of God that does that, right? Like God is unified in His character. And that's what we mean when we think about uh, God's unity or, or or simplicity is that His character is not subdivided. Just like He's He's not like part here, part there. He's not like part loving, part kind, part just, part... right. Like He's whole and complete unified um, in that. <clears throat> So um, that's kind of where we looked at last week. We we kind of were rushed at the end, 
um, looking at how we differ from that. Because that was last week we were thinking about how God differs from us. So we looked at, so if God's um, independent, we see ourselves as being dependent. If God's unchangeable, there's none of us that think that we're unchangeable, right? Like, I look in the mirror day after day and I see myself getting older and older and older, right? I look at my children and I see them growing growing up. So, like, we change regularly. That's a part of who we are, especially when we think about our character and, and our, like, like, it's a good thing that we change because we need to change. We need to grow in holiness and righteousness, right? And love and, like, all of these attributes of God that are unchanging in character. We need to grow so we differ from God and, and He needs not change in His character. We definitely need to. So if God's eternal, also we looked at how we differ from that. We're created. He made us. He placed us in time. Um, we can't rewind our being and, and find that it goes back eternally, right? Like there is a point in time where we began to exist as individuals. So we're created beings. And where God is um, uh, present everywhere completely and fully, we find ourselves limited in space and time, right? We're local. Um, so that's how we differ from God. Let's look at how how God is like us or things that, that we see about God that that we find reflected in our own character. And to do this, like I say, we could spend, and I listed quite a few, and I would say like if you've got the Systematic Theology book, this is broke out into two separate chapters. It's, it's just a huge endeavor, and you could spend time on each and every one of these. Dustin get, did a pretty good job going through God's character in the, in, in the, the Sunday services. So I would say like go back and look at some of those podcasts that he put up. Um, in regards to God's character, we're not going to be able to spend um, that kind of time in this. I'm going to try for us to kind of wrap this up um, in a single class today. Um, so to do that, one of the one of the things that I that I tried to do is I tried to find some scripture that we could explore that. Um, and again, we're not going to be able to even explore these individual scriptures and map them all back into the like these attributes of God here um, fully and completely in a single day. But I feel like the scriptures that I've selected today give us a good ju- a, a good jumping point into kind of there's one, two, three, four, five probably big categories to which you could group God's. Um, God's character um, and how He's like us. Uh, I'm gonna list those out, and then I'll, I'll kind of list inside of those the uh, the attributes that that we'll find that kind of roll up into these. So when we think about God's attributes here, um, God's spiritual that would be wrapping into one of His being. Um, God's mental attributes we would say like His knowledge, His wisdom, His truthfulness, faithfulness there. Um, his moral attributes, under that we would say, we would talk about things like God's goodness, His love, His mercy, grace, patience, holiness, um, righteousness, jealousy, wrath, justice. Um, under God's attributes of purpose, we would, we would place um, His will, His freedom, His power, His sovereignty. And under what I would like categorize as His perfections, um, Grudem classifies this slightly different. Um, he calls these the summary attributes. Um, we would place perfection itself, blessedness, beauty, and glory. Um, to, so what I've done, what I've done in kind of the scripture that we're going to look at today, we're going to be in John chapter four first. 
um, verse 24, we're going to look at that first that first major section, God's being. We're going to see that God's Spirit. We're going to see joined with that how we're like Him. That 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 though we are very much physical beings, that we have a spiritual nature and worship. We're going to see in John chapter four, verse twenty-four, to worship God, we must worship Him in spirit. Right. Um, then we're going to be in Romans for the next three major sections here, um, and and hopefully in the text that we that we have there that we um, we're able to kind of uh, tease out some of these. Um, some of these attributes through the scripture. So I pray that I've done a sufficient job in selecting text that, that kind of gives us an idea of wrapping our minds around um, God's character and, and that we're able to do that maybe in a single, in a single setting here. So, so let's go ahead and jump into John chapter 4, uh, verse 24 here. Um, so John chapter 4 verse 24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Alright, so what is it when we say that God's spirit or when scripture says that God is spirit, what does that tell us about God? Like what is, what is spirit? It is hard. It is that's so like don't be yeah, don't be don't be um don't feel bad if whenever I ask you that question, like the first thing you find is like, huh, that's hard to describe. Right? Like it is hard to describe. Why is it hard to describe? Maybe we start there. Why is spirit something that's hard for us to describe? Because we're Because we're we're like we like because to us, um base reality seems very much physical right like because we're part of creation like the the base reality that we're aware of seems physical we touch it we see it right and that's again why when we consider things that are like that we would consider to be spiritual type things like angels like that's one of the reasons that that i think strikes like a chord in our minds like that, that causes us to wonder in some regard because we're like what is that it seems different than what I know or what I'm comfortable with and that's why we you'll find people just going way out in left field trying to spend years and years and years and years and years of just just trying to explore those particular things because it seems fanciful right it seems so much different than than what we're accustomed to but here's one one thing that I want us that I want us to say there is that is that the most real thing the most real thing is spirit Right, and I want us to start. I want us to consider that first. Why would I say that? Why is that the case? Where would I base that? Is that before there was anything that you could touch, there was spirit. That spirit is God. Right? That spirit that that if we go back over and we look at, he's independent, he's self-existent, he's unchangeable, he's eternal, omnipresent, he's he's simple in his in that he's not made up of parts like all of that describes spirit right god is spirit god is the most real right because he always exists right he is he is eternal yes yes yeah 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 
So when we, when we, so so one thing, I, I, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be strange that it's that it is strange to us, right? It is a, because we are we we think so much about like the physical, the real. But here's the reality of what we get, especially from this particular part, is that as fanciful as it may seem, right, for us to consider, we are more than the physical, right? We are more than the physical. What, what what evidence would we have for that, right? What evidence would we have for that? Well, I would when I consider how do I know, like what it what gives me sufficient evidence from Scripture itself to tell me that that humanity has this spiritual component to it that's more than the physical, then I would look to the resurrection. Like most of the things, when I consider these things, I look at Christ. Because what happened? Christ died physically, bodily buried, and yet He remained, right? He remained because He is, he is spirit. Right, so he's resurrected, and so, and this is one. This is one of those areas where it's like I'm not going to claim to you that I have all the answers of 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 how the mechanics of this thing works. But here's what I know: is that when that body came back to life, new body, right? Because it was not simply like his flesh was was raised in the same way, right? Like when we look at what the the, the resurrection was, like. Christ was raised in this first fruits of the resurrection, this new resurrection body where the body that he had before would age and die and was and was in, in, in many ways like still contained in the in the realm for which sin causes these things, right? Like we die because of sin. Right? But now Christ's body is he's raised in a new type of body, yet the same. Right? Yet the same. What is the one thing that that transcends that transition from from body like we have now? Because you have a body now, right? But you will you and I can say you will have a new body. That you is a spiritual you, right? You will be made up of different things, much like what we know. But in many ways different, right? You will have a body like Christ, yet it will be you that survives that transition. Right? Like uniquely you. Uniquely you. Yes. 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 And and that same spiritual thing is the thing that now, even now, like we, you have, everyone in this room, there's no one here who has the same cells in their body that they had when they were young. None of us, right? Every seven to ten years, every cell in your body is new, right? Yet you survived that transition, right? <laughs> we survived that. What is that? What is that? Now, you could potentially try to push that back to completely physical things, but I would say that you're probably in error if you do that. I would say that thing that is always you, in spite of these physical trans- transitions that take place, is that spirit, right? It is that spirit. 
Um, so let's let's continue on. I don't want to spend too much time there. I just want to give you some kind of food for thought. So so in that scripture, God is spirit, and I would say that is the base of reality, right? Like spiritual, the spiritual is real. To the extent for which we seek after it, we should always be guided by Scripture. That's why you can go way in left field with the fanciful, right? But but to to deny, and I think that this is what oftentimes happens, to deny that there is a spiritual reality that 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 we are in even now, for which there are things that we cannot see, right? God is spirit. You can't lay your eyes on him. Like I can lay my eyes on you, like you can lay your eyes on Christ, right? Right? Like because that spiritual thing is not physical in its reality. So spiritual reality is 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 pervasive in all that we know, except there's an there's an aspect of it in which we cannot lay our physical eyes on, yet it's no less real. Right? It's no less real. So, but what we, in our, in our consider, in our considering of that reality, right? Like you'll see, like the world will go in many different directions as it considers that spirituality, right? Most of which are in no way guided by scripture at all. So you'll find these like, and you'll find even examples in scripture of people who do this. This is like, like you would see like witchcraft being one of those like, one of those approaches to try to approach the spiritual outside of the bounds for which God has laid for it. And God would say to us, don't go there. Right? Like don't go there. Don't, don't approach it. In that way, so we have to we have to let Scripture be the guardrails by which we explore it. So, if God has chosen in Scripture not to tell us certain things about that reality, then we must not try to drive farther than what God has allowed us to, because there are some great cliffs beyond that point. Right? There are certain parts of the reality that God has created for us that are to be that are left to be answered for another time. Does that make sense? Right? So like, what we know is that God is spirit. We know that that's some, it's not like this thing that I can touch, right? But I am, you are made up of in some way that, right? Like, you must worship Him in spirit and truth. To do that, to worship Him in spirit, you must be spirit as well. So we are like this unified existence of spirit and physical creatures created, right? So like when we think of God's spirit and how God's spirit differs from our spirit, He created our spirit, right? So we can't say that our spirit is identical to His spirit, right? Because there was like there's some like Eastern religions that would go that direction, right? Like where they would say that like we're all part of that. No, you're distinct created spirit. Right? You're not part of the great spirit. Okay? You are distinct. You're an individual. So when yes. God poured out his wrath on Christ on the cross, and I think so many times we think about Christ suffering physically, but when he poured that wrath out, and I didn't that he poured his complete wrath out on body and soul. Or our spirit, or just Christ? Yeah, yeah, I get it. And I and I was I would I would say I would say I would say both, right? Yeah. And because Christ 
Christ's physical body died under the weight of that. His spirit completely drank the cup of, right? So like, so like it is because, it is because like Christ is more than, more complete than, that then he's, he's raised in a new resurrected body that is of a different kind, right? Similar in ways, but then completely new in, in other ways. Like Christ is now bodily alive, right? In that resurrection body. And there's much to say about that. And then there's much to question. Like what? And there's much that we just don't have answers for in that regard yet. Right? Um, so when we consider that part of who, of, of, of God, um, then we, we, like I say, be bounded by what scripture tells you. Right? Be bounded by what Scripture tells you. But be confirmed, be, be like, like know that spiritual reality is, is real. And for us to worship God as we should, we're told that we must worship Him in spirit. Right? Um, so for Scripture to say that to us, then that would, that would mean that, that we are spirit. Not of the same kind, right? Because He's not of the created kind. And we are. Yeah. Yes. 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 He was trying to help them move from the physical to the spiritual. And then, like yes. First John, I was just like, look, I just was remembering a study that I'd done a long time ago, and it, it, there's so much of that thing going in First John mm-hmm. to help us be assured of our salvation is that we have a spirit, yeah, of God that is. Yes, yeah, so you are new creations when you are reborn, right? Like, 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 but, and, and this is where, like, you're, the, there's this intermingling of the physical reality, which you will never be freed of, right? Like, like, your ultimate end is resurrection. It's physical. Yes. 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 Because we shall see him. Yes. Yes. So like, so like, when when we when we die, and, and like like if if Christ does not return in our lifetimes, and and we all pass away, your spirit remains, right? Your body will die and 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 be put away in a grave, but your spirit remains, and your spirit is present with God, right? But that's not the end, and that's not the end hope that we have, right? Like we're like like there's this there's this sense that kind of comes up through through like history, and, and 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 I think in many ways like our culture has grabbed grabbed onto this idea too that the physical is bad. Like what God said in Genesis, He was wrong about or something, right? Where He said it's good, it's good, it's good. Like we have this opposite view to almost to where like we don't see that what that God. God intends for us to be spiritual and physical, right? Like that is the ultimate end. But one thing that you can hope that you don't you don't blink out of existence at the moment of death is because you are more than just a physical being, right? And that God will raise and rejoin your spirit with a new resurrected body, right? So so like and and when when I say like well, you'll see God in eternity, you'll see Christ Right? You'll like physically lay eyes on Him. 
Like that's a real thing. Like, and when we consider what, how, like it's one of those things where, I, and I say I can't have, I don't have all the answers because I'm still, it, I, my mind just marvels at the thought that the Creator of all could step into His creation, right? Like that this eternal Spirit could take on flesh, right? Like there's a beautiful reality there. Right? That it's like, I'm not even going to say that I have all the answers to how, it, like, like, I marvel at the thought of it, right? But even though he was perfect, he took on the sinful flesh. He took on the flesh, yes. Yes. He took on flesh like we have flesh. Yes. Yes. He faced all the temptations. And I would say that Christ faced temptation. I would say that Christ faced more temptation than you could ever imagine. Right? And I, 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 I say it like this. Like the analogy that works in my head is I think of like a weightlifter. Right? And I think of like if any of you were to go to an Olympic weightlifting gym, you could bear some amount of weight. Right? Like you could carry on your shoulders some amount of weight. But there is a weight in which you would fall. Right? That weight is temptation. That falling is you're submitting to that temptation. Right? And then you look over to the Olympic weightlifter who can lift enormous amounts more than you. Who, who carried more weight? Of course, the weightlifter who does that. Now, you consider temptation when it comes upon Christ where you might have failed at a certain point. That temptation, Christ carried that temptation farther than you could ever understand. At your breaking point, Christ continued pressing through that temptation, right? He bore the complete weight of that temptation without failing to it. So I would say that Christ understands temptation more than any of us could fathom it because He did not fall under the weight of it, right? So when we consider, and, and like again, like when I consider like what that means that God took on flesh and He did it, like, like there will be none on that day that can say to Him, but you don't know. Right? But you can't, you can't understand, right? As though the, as though the all-knowing God couldn't understand anyways, He took on flesh. And not only did He, not only did He understand, but now He offers up to the fallen an opportunity for redemption, and in that we can know Him more than we could have in any other way. Like when we think of Him, He is truly the only wise God. Right? The only wise God. And, and, and for eternity, we will marvel at what He's, at what He's done. Let's flip to uh, Romans chapter 3 real quick. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Um, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 11. I want us to hit these scriptures real quick so that we can kind of Consider the the character of God in ways that 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 um, that we can more easily relate to. I believe uh, so. Romans chapter three. We're going to be looking at verse twenty one through twenty six here. And when I when I consider this like this particular piece, like I've grouped in this all of the moral attributes of God. So like I hope that we can see His goodness, His love, His 
mercy, His grace, His patience, His holiness, His peace, His righteousness, His justice, His jealousy, um, His wrath. Like I, I hope that we can see how all of that is is on display um, in uh, chapter. 3 verses 21 through 26. But now the righteous, so Romans chapter 3 verse 21 through 26 um, is where we're going to be reading. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So and I'm going to read this I'm going to read through this this one more time but as we read through this I want you to be looking for God's goodness, right? I want you to be looking for God's love. I want you to be looking for his grace, his mercy, his patience, his holiness, the peace that he brings to us, his righteousness. I want to, I want you to when when we think when I say jealousy and wrath as part of this, these moral attributes, one of the things that we like, we mar jealousy and wrath. We see that as as wrong types of attributes for a God to have, but we look at jealousy wrong. God, you live because God was jealous for you, right? Like His jealousy is not like our jealousy, as though He was, as though He needed something, right? When we're jealous, it's because we feel wrong. Right, God's jealousy does not come from the same kind of place. Right, when again, when He acts, all of His attributes act together in unity. Right, like and even to say like His attributes act like He's unified in His actions, and part of that is a holy and pure jealousy. Right, a holy and pure jealousy. Um, so let's read this again. But the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. If you don't see patience in that right there, that He passed over sin for a time, and, and, and if you don't see wrath and that He does not allow sin to go unpunished so much so that Christ bore the weight of that wrath, right? Like we see like in the cross, in the life of death, resurrection of Christ, we see the character of God on full display, right? And at times where he was passed, like Abraham had faith, right? Abraham was justified by that faith, right? He was declared righteous by God because he believed God. But God could not let Abraham... Abraham was not perfect and without blemish. God could not let Abraham's sin go unpunished and still be a just God. He didn't, right? 
Like he was patient. He is today patient. How many times do we find ourselves going astray and yet we don't find ourselves struck down as we probably should be? We find that God's patient with us. Even now, how many of us turned from Him so many times before we came to Him? He owed you no chance. He owed you no chance. Understand that. That God did not owe salvation to you. He did not. He would be no less good, no less kind, no less just had He let all humanity perish. And you say, Lyndon, that makes no sense at all. And I say, go talk to the fallen demons. Ask, ask them where their opportunity for salvation is. There is none. God owed them none and He owed us none. Yet He chose, freely chose to display Himself to all that He had created in this way. His wisdom on full display. Our benefit. For, for, you, like, we should be in awe of what He has done. And yet so many times we pass over it as though it was just like something to be taken for granted. And Yes, we do. That's what. That's the way that we think. We think as though God owes us something because there's something special about me. Right? God owed n- no one anything. That's what it means to be self-sufficient. Right? He is who He is. He chose, freely chose to do this. You are a benefactor of those decisions. Right? Because He did not, he did not owe anyone Christ. Yet He chose, freely chose to display Himself in this way. And we get to partake in this. Like what an awesome thing that is. Right? What an awesome thing that is. Um, Thank you, Lord, for such a great opportunity to know you and to see you through what you've done. Right? Like that's that's the way that our hearts and minds should should be. So in his patience, he passes over former sin, verse twenty six, and it was to show his righteousness at the present time. Right? So all of his character working together, so that he might be the just, because he does not let sin go unpunished, and the justifier, because there is hope for the fallen. Right? That hope is in Christ. God can be both just and the justifier. We see his moral character on display, and I would say as well, like his wisdom in this on display. Um, for all to see. Romans chapter 8. Let's flip there real quick. We're going we're gonna to look at um, his mental attributes and, and his, the, his attributes of purpose in Romans chapter 8. So Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 28 through 30. Here's so the Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 30. And we know, so like when we're looking at this too, like understand that, that these attributes that we're talking about today, like we in some way share in that, right? Like God has communicated those attributes to us as creatures that He's created, right? So we know, God. we talk about God knows all Right, God's all-knowing. We have knowledge, right? So this is this is, and we know, like this is us knowing. For those who love God, all things work together for good. How could that even be a statement? That's that's real. Looking at what we see in the world around us, right? 
Like, we know that God must be greater, that He must be wiser. Right? As believers, like, and when I say, like, we know, like, this isn't, this is a, this is a, like a, like a, uh, there's there is a, there is a sense of faith in this statement that we know, right? Because for me to explain to you the how, I can't, right? Like like for each indiv- like if if I take each individual thing in my life and and I I, can't, I don't have one the time two the capacity three the 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 eternal vision for what the future will hold from those things like I can't answer them but I know like I can see what he's done I can see the examples that he set forth I can see things in my own life where where I can see that he's worked these realities out and from that I can gather sufficient knowledge limited my knowledge is always going to be limited yours is always going to be limited but sufficient knowledge to know that this statement is true because he knows all right like I lean in on my with my limited knowledge to his unfathomable, unfathomable, infinite knowledge. Right? Like I lean into that. I can do that. This is not something beyond us. Like it, this is what we get from this. And we know, we know. Like I can say that I know. Right? I like I can truthfully say that I know this. Like the worst thing we face is like physical death. Yes. But because we know God is spirit and yes. we are his reborn yeah. spirit and his spirits within us. Yeah. Like we can trust that everything Yes. Because we trust in him. We trust in the one who knows, right? So he's working together for good. That's crazy. I can say that I know that God's working all this together for good for you. I can't listen, if we dive into each and every detail, I we here's the reality though. Given eternity, we won't have enough time to dig into each and every one of those details. But you know what we'll find in each direction that we plunged into, in each individual life, in each individual event, as we press on into that, you know what we would see? We'll see more and more of the infinite knowledge. We'll see more and more of the infinite wisdom. We'll see more and more of the infinite goodness, the infinite kindness. Like as we press into any and everything, we'll see that God's working all things together. For those who are called according to whose purpose? His purpose. This unchanging purpose that He's set forth for those whom He foreknew. God knows all. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Will He fail in that? No, in no way. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Um, let's slip real quick and we'll wrap up with this. Um, so when we consider His perfections, there's one place in, in Scripture where I see, um, I see kind of the, the, what happens when we consider the perfections of God. Um, what happens to the soul of a person when they consider um, the perfections of God. And that's Romans chapter 11. Um, we're going to start in verse 33 here. Um, one of the most beautiful to me um, passages of text. After laying out this gospel truth, Paul reflecting on it, re- reflecting on the perfections that must have been, right? The glory, the perfection, the blessedness, the beauty of all that God's done. He he says this, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord 
or who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. Let's read that again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, So we're going to close with that.